Well, welcome to Hemp Barons today, Axel. Thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to be here with Joy. Uh, with you, Joy. Thank, thanks so much for having me on. You know, as Assistant Counsel on Health to Governor Cuomo, you're dealing with a number of important and critical issues on a good day, to say nothing of handling an unprecedented pandemic in the Empire State. And yet, uh, you also have time and energy to continue to work on uh, the incredible important topics to us of all forms of cannabis and particularly hemp or industrial hemp, carrying forward Governor Cuomo's administration's great support for the reintroduction of this versatile, valuable crop. We cannot thank the governor and his entire team enough for the incredible work uh, that you're all doing to allow and give this opportunity to farmers, to job creators, to businesses, to citizens uh, in the great state of New York. Can you tell us a little bit about when this idea of hemp, and I'm certain uh, that our heroine assemblywoman Donna Lepardo had a big part of this, when hemp got onto the governor's radar and landed on your plate, what can you share with us about those initial uh, moments? Yeah, happy happy to talk about that. Uh, I think the the most important thing to realize is that this is a, a real partnership. It's been a partnership with farmers and with industry and with thought leaders and uh, advocacy groups from the beginning. Really, it's folks that have been like yourself that have been fighting for so many years to destigmatize, to legalize, and and bring this uh, this incredible crop back into the mainstream. That's been uh, that's been the source of all the all the success. We've recognized uh, again, thanks to that that effort, that that there's a real opportunity here. So we've been, as an administration, and driven by the governor, uh, very supportive of all the the various incarnations of the um, of the cannabis plant. the The industrial hemp program was born in 2015, largely a function of some of the regional legislators like Donna Lupardo and the recognition that it had tremendous economic growth potential and that we launched that program in 2015. I joined the administration that year and interestingly I came to hemp in a bit of a circuitous way through the medical marijuana program. When I came on as health counsel to the governor, one of the files that we had just implemented in 2014, so a year before the hemp program, was the medical marijuana files. And so I inherited a file that I knew very little about and a program that was sort of new across, uh, especially the eastern seaboard. It was some somewhat uncharted territory. We had a fairly aggressive and fairly um, tight program that we were running and a fairly tight schedule on which to run it. And so I, I was exposed to medical marijuana and realized that there were a lot of medicinal benefits to this plant that had been left um, unexplored for 80 years. Uh, as I learned more about the cannabinoids in the plant, and I started to see that the industrial hemp program was going to have a large cannabinoid component to it through CBD, CBN, and other cannabinoids, we started to realize that the two programs were not in isolation, but needed to be considered together. And so my role migrated over to also supervise some of the hemp work and rollout we were doing. Uh, and that was that was in 2016, 17 and throughout uh, throughout the last few years. So we've been working hand in glove with the Department of Agriculture, who's been fantastic on this and the Department of Health, 
where the uh, where the medical programs housed. So that's how I kind of came to this, and it's been a fascinating journey. A lot learned and really in, in, in interesting industry. You know, you get the credit for a lot learned, brother, because I work with a lot of states. And while there are many, many huge supporters in these states at high levels, or we wouldn't have 48 states that have passed some form of, of legislation right now and, and delivering, trying, doing their best to deliver on the promise of this crop, you have really taken a huge deep dive. And when I remember my first meeting with you, and when I get to understand and I usually can understand within 10 or 15 minutes some baseline or, or I get some indication of how much investment has been done, how many, because this is, there are very many complexities with hemp. I, I often call the, uh, it the misguided oversimplification of hemp. There are lots of complexities. And I knew within 10 or 15 minutes that you had taken a deep dive. And there's no way that someone can understand some of these complexities unless they have really made a huge effort and invested the time in these understandings, which also then, of course, made an indication to me of how important this is to Governor Cuomo's administration. And and again, we cannot thank you enough. For example, you know, we have many states that the patchwork just because something becomes federally legal and New York was dealing with this under the agricultural pilot programs and still is from the 2014 Farm Bill. Under the 2018 Farm Bill, as you're well aware, uh, hemp has been legalized as an agricultural commodity, completely removed from the Controlled Substances Act, including tetrahydrocannabinols derived from hemp have also been removed from the Controlled Substances Act. And yet still, there are many states that are not taking advantage of this opportunity and of this new liberation from the shackles of the jurisdiction of the Drug Enforcement Administration. Yet New York is giving its citizens, its farmers, and its manufacturers and business owners cover by creating standards and ethics around CGMP compliance for dietary supplements. Um, so if you're going to operate as and market your products as dietary supplements, which according to the guidance of the FDA uh, is, is not um, what federally they want to happen right now, New York is saying, you know what, we recognize you, you can't put this genie back in the bottle. And as I'm sure you're familiar, Commissioner Stephen Hahn recently said it would be a fool's errand to try to, to even try to approach stopping the sale of of uh, these these CBD products. But New York is saying, listen, we're going to allow you to do it. We're going to allow you to do it with very safe guardrails, as in full compliance with current good manufacturing practices in accordance with the code of federal regulations for the manufacture of dietary supplements, et cetera. Um, and you're going to be allowed to do it here. We're going to give you labeling requirements. We're going to give you testing requirements. And we're going to put a program in place. Um, not all states have done that. There are many states, even California, the fourth largest economy in the world, which is still sitting here saying only cosmetics are legal and CBD products that contain derived from hemp may only be sold in licensed uh, marijuana dispensaries. Um, and in fact, we just had a very important enactment date pass, May 1st, that beautiful uh, hemp bill uh, that, that was agreed upon through chapter agreement um, and that, that was just passed in January. The enactment date of May 1st, meaning the regulation of hemp extract and cannabinoid hemp is now in effect in the state. 
tell us a little bit about coming to those conclusions, recognizing and developing those those standards. So there's a lot there, Joy, uh, mm -hmm. and I'd like to speak to a couple of those things. I think the deep dive at the beginning and the reason I got so involved in this file is that what was really unique about this plant is that we have very sophisticated agencies here, the Department of Health and Ag and Markets that have been operating in their respective spaces for for hundreds of years. And yet there was no expertise because of the federal prohibition on cannabis generally and hemp as well. There was no expertise in the in the agencies where you would have your typical Ph.D. in um, in in an area that's a regulated area by the state. So it was a both a, a risk and an opportunity to be put in a, a situation to oversee a program and develop laws and regulations for it where uh, everybody was learning and building the plane as as we were flying it. And so it's not every day you get to do that. And. It's certainly not every day you get to do that with such a fascinating plant and such a fascinating set of regulatory protocols. So that's why I think I took it to heart. I dedicated a lot of time and energy to get to know the file, and it's been incredibly rewarding. It just it just has, as you know very well, Joy, because we know each other, that once you get bitten by this, it's impossible to really stop thinking about it the way the way i like to think about it as a regulator which is maybe a little different than how some some of the other folks you have on the program think about it but as a state regulator that has to deal with all the aspects of this plant and we don't have the luxury like the feds to to sort of ignore it because folks are consuming it on the ground selling it on the ground and and uh we have a hemp program we have a medical program so we have to think about regulatory frameworks how do we think of this plant and its myriad of applications. So the way we think about it is a sort of there's six segments and each of these segments has its own regulatory structure. So it's fascinating. It's not one thing. It's not an agricultural commodity. It's not just a recreational drug. It's it's actually got six distinct regulatory frameworks that apply to it. First, it's got the industrial uses so fiber and it's uh, the herd and the seed. Uh, that are being used, that can be used for bioplastics and all the uses you know very well. That's that's probably the least touch from a regulatory standpoint. Then you move into food. So we know there's GRAS certification and you have seed oil and you have seed hulls and hearts. And there we have a framework, but it's still a framework that has to be adapted to hemp. And that's your food and, and agricultural framework. Then you move over to a dietary supplement or nutritional set of regulations, which is typically the purview of the FDA, but they haven't regulated it. So I'll come back to that in terms of what you uh, very well uh, you, you described so well in terms of our bill and our approach. But that's yet a third set of regulatory f uh, standards that apply to nutraceuticals. Then you move into a recreational compound. If you look at THC or some forms of combinations where you have um, de-stressors and you have uh, recreational activities, you're looking more closely to something like alcohol or tobacco. And so we have very different sets of regulations for that and very different sets of public health priorities and approaches to that in terms of controlling consumption or limiting distribution and controlling quality. Then you have a medical program, but it's not your conventional clinical trial driven FDA drug approved uh, program. It's a it's a hybrid approach that started out in California in 1996 and then migrated over. And I think now in hindsight, we're proud of the program we have in the state of New York. It was it was tightly drawn up, but right now it's 
proven to be really helpful because doctors have bought into it. Uh, our registered organizations, as they're known, our providers are producing really t- premium product and and there's research happening on the uh, on um, at the state level, which is really new and exciting. And we see there are real medicinal qualities to this to this plant. And that but that's not your traditional FDA product. But we also have that final sixth segment, which has its regulatory framework, which is the FDA's approach to uh, uh, clinical trial and um, randomized trials driven product development. So you really have one plant that can fit into six completely different frameworks, which makes it just an endlessly fascinating uh, perspective from a regulator's um, uh, perspective. And so that's 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 what we've striven to uh, what we strive to do is try to look at the plant globally. Um, we do have, we did propose, uh, unfortunately, COVID sidetracked this in large part. We, we proposed a cannabis act, so a new section of, un, of, of consolidated law, which, which isn't something you get to do every day, which would have brought under one roof, under the Office of Cannabis Management, all the different aspects from agriculture to nutraceuticals to medicinal to recreational under one group of folks and one team that had the expertise. Unfortunately, while we wait for that to happen, we are still moving ahead with our medical program and our hemp program. So now that's being done in separate pieces of legislation, which will be unified once once we bring in adult use. And right now, that's that's the bill you described. I'm happy to to talk a little bit about about, about that bill if you'd like me to. But I think I've just gone on for a while there. So. <laughs> no, thank you. We cannot get enough of what the Assistant Council on Health in the greatest state in the United States has to say about hemp. Are you kidding me? Please let us go forth and discuss this great piece of legislation, which, and, and Axel, I just cannot thank the legislators and the governor's office enough because we know that, that the bill that was passed at the end of the last session didn't have a ton of amendments in it and it's too burdensome details for this show but we knew that it had a lot of problems in it and so much advocacy happened over the course of the summer and I look at the at the piece of legislation that ended up passing in January per chapter agreement and I I'm I'm really hard pressed to find an amendment request that was not granted. And we didn't make unrealistic. We didn't make unreasonable amendment requests. We made reasonable amendment requests. And to see that basically all of them were granted, I, I the amount of gratitude from the national hemp movement and the global hemp movement for the New York State Legislature and the governor's office listening, hearing, understanding, cooperating, and bringing forth common sense um, into the program is just is just a gift to New York and the nation that I, I really don't have words for. And I, I don't mean to gush about it. It's just that basically all of the amendments were granted. It was like a tremendous treasure chest. Please talk about this great piece of legislation. Well, Joy, you're, you're too kind, and I, but I think it reflects what you said at the beginning, which is that this is a new industry and that it's really the teamwork. And we're, we're very focused on stakeholder engagement. We, we mean that in, the, in, in all our programs. We understand the reality of creating a new industry means that you have to work with advocacy groups and you have to work with social equity groups and, and stakeholders and industry to develop the best program possible. We can't we can't be rigid and we can't pretend that we have all the answers when it's as complex as I just set it out to be. So I think in partnership and, and with that stakeholder engagement, we developed what is really a great piece of legislation. We're very excited about it. 
it's it's fairly high level. We're now going to have to roll out the regulations that are going to implement this, but it really captures what you said. First and foremost, it says we can't really, until the federal government comes in and makes this a dietary supplement, which, which it should be, we can't just turn a blind eye to that. CBD in May and, and other cannabinoids in, in many forms are being sold in the state of New York. We don't have the luxury of pretending they're not. There's some there's some products that are subpar. There's some par- products that are being extracted in 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 sub suboptimal uh, uh, conditions. And so we want to make sure that we have a quality product that is that is properly labeled, that has the right disclaimers, that is uh, properly extracted and manufactured. So first and foremost, safety and consumer protection was at at the at the heart of what we were doing. We hope that. Our law is consistent with how the feds, how we think the feds should be doing this. And in fact, we imported into our state law a lot of the federal requirements on dietary supplements. So we didn't reinvent the wheel. We're essentially requiring everybody who's participating in our program to have a dietary supplement standard, a CGMP standard under federal law. So you have to operate like a real dietary supplement manufacturer. We, of course, have an agricultural side, you know, testing and all the USDA requirements. Um, that we're gonna that we're gonna try to implement as best we can, and hope that the USDA also uh, takes our recommendations to to make some tweaks to those interim final rules. And um, and so so that that's that's the gist of the program, uh, the the quality and consumer protections. We do also require uh, some of our retailers, whoever's going to carry CBD products or other cannabinoid products, to register. Uh, it's not going to be a, a burdensome process, but again, it's about compliance and enforcement. It's very difficult because, as, as, you, as you pointed out, the proliferation of, of folks selling uh, these products and even the provenance of this. You know, we hear a lot of people bring in an isolate or distillate from China, from Eastern Europe, that is of questionable origin, that's grown in, on plants that maybe have been uh, bioaccumulating toxins. That, that that we can't test and we can't vouch for, and they make their way into the supply in the United States. And we think it should be an opportunity for U.S. farmers growing under under much healthier conditions and, and extracting under well-regulated standards. So part of the registration on the retail side is really our ability to go in and say, you're free to sell these products, but can you show us, you have a QR code, can you also show us that that you know where this is sourced from, that it meets our testing and GMP uh, protocols. So that's part of that that process. I think there are a number of other states that are doing this. Florida, Texas, they're they're working well in 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 trying to regulate it the same way we are. We are working with them. We have uh, we have a national association of regulators that meets regularly uh, twice a year to discuss. Uh, all sort of cannabis issues and, and hemp and CBD is on that. So coordinating with other states, I think, is extremely important. So we can have uh, standard laws across the country and show the federal government that there's a way of doing this correctly. So I think I think it's I think it's a good template. I mean, we all contributed to it, so we should all take the credit for it as stakeholders. But it's it's a really good template that other states should feel free to adopt and that can harmonize the laws across the country. And, and a moment here to talk about the U.S. Hemp Authority and why we needed some type of seal, some type of indication, some consumer-facing seal for, for retailers, consumers, law enforcement, um, that this product has, has been certified independently through a third party. And now, by the way, uh, the U.S. Hemp Authority, we are using Food Chain ID as our new exclusive um, 
certifier, which is well, well established globally. Um, and, and it means something. And in our version 2.0, we are actually requiring that you put your hemp country of origin specifically because it says U.S. hemp authority. And we don't want to mislead people. If this hemp is not coming from the United States, you need to know that, especially with the seal that says U.S. hemp authority. Um, and so, and that's another requirement that went into the New York legislative bill was you need to disclose that on your label, uh, the region or state, you need to, you need to state on your label, uh, the source of that hemp biomass. That's one of the many uh, requirements um, that are necessary as we, as we wait for the federal government um, to continue its work creating a regulatory framework. And could we talk for a minute about the fact that this legislation um, divides hemp as, as it is necessary? You, you discussed those, the various categories, and if we just keep it down to hemp, um, and as opposed to talking also about medical and adult use cannabis, in this bill, the Department of Ag maintains jurisdiction over the oil seed and fiber crops of hemp. And right now, the Department of Health maintains jurisdiction over the extract hemp um, and for dietary supplements, nutraceuticals. And when we can finally get a larger Cannabis Act passed in the state of New York, that will create the Office of Cannabis Management, at which time, and you'll please correct me if I'm misstating any of this, Axel, at which time the Department of Health's jurisdiction over hemp extract would then be moved to the Office of Cannabis Management. Am I getting that right? You're absolutely correct. That's a great, uh, great rendition of the bill. And we thought it was important that the Department of Agriculture and Markets maintain control over the growing, uh, harvesting, basic processing of, of hemp, because that's really an agricultural function. We are, we are really committed, and we think that there's tremendous potential in the industrial and the traditional industrial applications of hemp. One of the things that is understandable, but unfortunate is that so much energy and capital has been dedicated to the production of cannabinoids under the under the hemp bill. Uh, it's understandable because the, that's where some of the margins, early margins were and, and the rediscovery or the, um, the brushing, bringing to light some of what the, some of what we knew 100 years ago, but of the, the, the medicinal and, um, and uh, the health benefits of of cannabinoids but there's been somewhat of an underinvestment in all the other uses and there's so much potential for industrial hemp as a crop both the way you grow it in terms of low you know all this low pesticide use low water use uh the the 90 to 120 day growth cycles just the amount of herd and 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 fiber and seed that it can that it can generate the the, the, the profile of the seed, the nutritional value of the seed as a food source, the, the strength of the fiber as, a, um, as an industrial component, the absorbency and, and speed with which you can grow the herd, the myriad of applications from bioplastics to, to paints and varnishes to, um, to textiles to, um, to, you know, the, the list goes on. Everybody talks about the 25,000 applications, but maintaining, you know, not losing sight that it is an industrial crop as well is important. That's why it's important to keep ag the Department of Agriculture and Markets right in the center of the growing and, um, and harvesting uh, and processing of, of, of that industrial side to it. So Department of Health and the Office of Cannabis Management eventually will only step in when you're looking at using hemp for human consumption 
in, in its concentrated form. And there, it makes sense. It just makes sense to make sure that the processes you're using are toxic, toxic, toxin-free, that, that you're testing it to make sure that there are no molds and that make sure that there are no contaminants and then uh, and then label, labeling it properly. So I think I think we've struck the right balance there, and um, we're pretty happy with how that came uh, how that turned out. Boy, you certainly did. And and really, the trillion dollar industries are in the oil seed and the fiber. And we're so grateful for CBD sort of taking us all by storm. Now, as you well know, I've been involved in hemp for thirty years, but six years ago, all of a sudden, it was like. Hemp CBD hit us like a ton of bricks, almost like a blindside. And I, even though CBD tends to take up all of the air in the room, even when you say, okay, we're having a seminar and we're not going to talk about CBD one darn time in this seminar, and it will still take over several conversations. Um, yet we're, we're grateful for it because it's through that incredible cannabinoid that is offering so much support uh, to people and improving their quality of life um that uh, that they're learning about the very many applications of hemp and, and this plant that is here really to serve all of humanity's needs and i and i often you know tell this story when we're speaking together uh publicly but i i just have to have to share it again here i remember when i first met you and i walked into the the, the chambers and and you talked about this office of cannabis management and how it was going to deal with medical and adult use and hemp extract and i remember saying, listen, we're a legal, safe agricultural commodity. We're like any other botanical extract. So whoever it is in the state that's been governing botanical extracts, they need to govern us too. We don't need the Office of Cannabis Management. We're, we're a legal, safe extract. And you were like, Joy, so you know, never in the history of the great state of New York has the great state of New York governed botanical extracts. <laughs> basically. <laughs> that's right. The feds have always done that, Joy, and they're not, they're refusing to do it. So somebody has to do it. And it was just so many light bulbs went on for me that day. And now, I, now I'm just waiting for the Office of Cannabis Management and doing everything that I can to, to help uh, get that formed so that we can ride into the sunset uh, together here. It's just so great. So with New York taking the lead here, and we're so grateful that it has, uh, what's a larger message here for the rest of the states or a way that we can get some cohesion as we work together, 50 states together, uh, trying to deliver on the promise of this versatile, valuable crop that has finally uh, taken its rightful place and reclaimed it in the broad light of day among America's other agricultural commodities? What's the message that you'd like to send? Well, that's a good, that's a good question, Joy. I, I think the most important thing to remember is that that uh, that the U.S. can lead the charge globally in this industry, uh, in all facets of this industry, from the industrial components to the to the cannabinoid production to even uh, recreational and adult use and medicinal. We we have a a serious lead over other countries in this regard. We've always had a tremendous capacity for innovation and for uh, for drive and building uh, infrastructure and building new industries. That, that's really what we were founded on and what we do better than anybody. Especially in this time of COVID and international supply chain disruptions, the idea and environmental uh, degradation, the idea that we could find a crop that could fulfill so many of our needs in a domestic way and build jobs is truly uh, phenomenal. So, but, um, but that takes a national unified approach. And 
until the federal government takes its rightful uh, seat at the table to really coordinate some of the the, the broader uh, regulatory uh, frameworks within which states can function independently, but just like uh, um, in alcohol, just like in in hemp now at an industrial level, it 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 needs to set the general parameters within which the states function. Until that happens, the states need to do a better job cooperating and collaborating on setting some national standards. It's really difficult for a state to go at it alone with the free flow of this kind of uh, of product across borders. And so I guess I think the most important task we have is is working with our our, uh, our sister states and in kind of coming up with a baseline of standards that we can all get behind. I think that would go a really long way in in uh, in launching the industry. And I think even at the state level, regulators really need to work with the various agencies that are responsible for pieces of this. So be it agriculture and markets and Department of Health and new cannabis offices and make sure that that cooperation is happening. I think California recently, you know, decided to move in that direction. They had several separate agencies that were working together. I think the, the quicker you get everybody on the same page and recognize the overlap between the various segments of this plant, the more uh, the better job you can do in regulating it. So that that would be my takeaway. That's what we're trying to do in New York. And that's what we're encouraging everyone to do as well. So I think that's how I'd sum that up. Well, thank you for your leadership. Thank you to Governor Cuomo for his leadership, for the heroes and heroines in the Washington State Legislature. And there there are many. I just I, I have to specifically shout out Donna Lopardo, who has just been such a leader there. Um, the hemp movement the emerging hemp industries, and those of us who have literally dedicated our lives to serve this plant. Axel, we thank you so much. Well, we thank you for bringing it to where it is now. So, Joy, always a pleasure speaking with you, and thanks so much for having me on. What a privilege. What an honor. We can't wait to have you back again. Sending you our most positive vibrations. May you stay healthy and strong. Your family, the governor's office, the governor's family, thank you for being with us today, Axel. Thank you, Joy. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.